Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That's the collect for today, Sunday, November the 27th, 2022, the first Sunday of Advent. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Um, Full disclosure, I'm taping this a week in advance. Uh, I needed to because we are traveling this week. Um, We'll be in Seattle seeing our son Pelham and his wife, Anna, spending time with them. Looking forward to it very much. He's planned a pretty full uh, schedule for us while we're there. Um, I appreciate that because it means that I don't have to think about it. All I got to do is just tag along most of the time. So it'll be good. Um, Looking forward to it. They've been out there for, I don't know, seven years or something like that, maybe a little longer than that now. And um, this is the first opportunity we've had to get out and visit. So I'm I'm excited to be with them and um, looking forward to, to that, even though we just saw them. I mean, you can't get enough of your children most of the time, right? And so um, excited about that. Looking forward to, to going out there. The only part I'm not looking forward to is the travel part of it. I just got to the point where it's just such a hassle, right, to fly and all that, that I just dread it. Um, I used to love to fly before 9-11, and then after that, it, it got so much more of a hassle to do that. So anyway, be praying um, for us. We, we, we'll be back by the time you hear this. But anyway, so looking forward to that. But uh, so we, here we are, the first Sunday of Advent. It's, as always, it seems just absolutely impossible that it could be already this late in the year, um, or this early in the year, if you're um, following the calendar, the, the church calendar, as opposed to the uh, the uh, secular calendar. So here we are at the first Sunday of Advent, and what is the point of Advent? And the point of Advent is sort of the the same thing as the point of Lent, as I said last week. In many ways, it's to prepare our hearts and minds to receive Christ again. I'm going to lay a challenge before you today, actually, and I'm going to go ahead and state that challenge right here on the front uh, part of the of the talk, actually. And so it's a challenge that that I felt like the Lord was given to me. And that is so much of what we have to do is preparation. And then we got John the Baptist is involved in that, and um, Isaiah is going to be involved. And, and so, and Jesus is going to tell today, um, he's going to tell a, a couple of short ish um, parables, kind of gives us some examples actually of what it looks like to be um, there at when he returns, at the, at the return of the Son of Man. And so that's the final judgment is what's in view there. Um, so, so how do we how do we handle these things? And, and the challenge for me that I, that I'm going to try and do my best to sort out this year is um, a challenge that I'm going to lay before you as well. And that challenge is is, is simply this: it, it's it's saying, okay, so Jesus is going to say, no one knows when, right? So, so it could come today. It could come, you know, before you even listen to this sermon. It could happen before, you know, in some time after I've, after I've preached it, and then when you listen to it, it could have already come. So I'm going to assume that it hasn't. Uh, I'm going to be grateful if it does, but I'm going to assume that it hasn't happened by, by today, the first Sunday of Advent. So the, the challenge is this, is to kind of look and say, okay, I, I, what, if it, what if he comes on uh, returns, on Christmas Day. Now, I don't think Jesus was born on December the 25th, so that's not an issue, really, but, but, but we are pointing towards that day. 
And so what I want to encourage you to think about is what if he did come back on that day? And so what what would if you knew that if you if you really believed with all your heart that Jesus was going to come back on December the 25th of 2022, what changes would that require in your life? You know, kind of what would your priorities be? How would you spend your time? What would it look like to sort of clean up your life? to be prepared for Jesus in the way that John the Baptist was attempting to prepare uh, the people of his day to receive the coming of Messiah, who John thought was going to come in judgment at that time. He didn't see the, the coming of Messiah for salvation first and to open the door to the Gentiles. No, he saw it as he was coming in judgment. And so we know that that's the, the second coming of Christ is going to be when judgment happens. So my question is, and, and the way that I want to encourage you to think about this next season of preparation is is that you're preparing to greet a king you're preparing to greet your king and so how would how would we adjust our lives what you know how would we spend our time what would we primarily be spending time doing if we believed that that he would come on the december the 25th so that's the challenge that i'm going to leave before you so now let's get into the lessons so we begin with isaiah 2 verses 1 to 5 the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, the, the rest of uh, Israel is gone. It's been gone a hundred years by the time that this particular exile comes and by the time this uh, prophecy comes. So those ten tribes have, have been taken away by Assyria, assimilated into the nations. A new group of people have been resettled into those uh, former uh, Israelite regions. So th- this is only for those who are in Judah and Jerusalem, particularly. It's not mentioned even like Galilee, which is still part of um, everything at this point. So this is Judah and Jerusalem that's being addressed here. So it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. So that, that's this distant time in the future when God reestablishes Israel, Jerusalem in particular, as the, the center of the world, that, that everything will then flow towards Jerusalem in the same way that rivers flow to the sea and the ocean and all that kind of stuff. So, so we, we, we'll see that. And then he says, in addition to, to the Lord doing this, the nations will flow to it. And they, they've only really seen that sort of any any idea of that happened sort of one time in Israelite history, and that was during the time of Solomon because of his great wisdom. And people came from all over based on what they had heard. And so they come to that place. And when he speaks of the nations, he's not speaking of, of the Jewish peoples who have, have gone to these other places in exile. No, he's talking literally about the Gentiles who will come and they will flow to the city of Jerusalem. And so he, he's seeing this as the end times. And, and there will be such um, wisdom in Jerusalem as has never been known before, not even in the days of Solomon, because the Lord God himself will be there. And so the, the nations will flow to that, and many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, why? That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So they don't want just knowledge. They don't want to just know his ways. No, they want to apply that knowledge and walk in his paths. So why? Well, they've seen 
from the uh, raising up of Jerusalem and the exaltation of God and the blessedness of the people that live under his reign, that to live under his reign brings blessing. To submit yourself to him and to live the way that, that, that he teaches is the most beneficial and right way to live. We live in an age when, when everything's moving in exactly the opposite direction. No, I'm my own God. I live however I want to live. In fact, I will let my emotions control everything. How do I feel about this? Well, if, if it makes me feel pleasure, if it, if it feels like it's relieving anxiety over here, uh, um, then, then I'm going to do those things because, well, that's best for me. Well, that's a very short-term calculation based on very limited information. It, it's, it's, it has no end in sight. I mean, because so many of the paths that we choose to walk in to relieve our anxiety, to give us pleasure or whatever, are actually destructive of our lives in multiple ways. And so the, the, the choosing of the short-term, quote, good in our own eyes often leads to long-term consequences. And those long-term consequences are not good consequences. And so that's why we need to commit ourselves to walking in his ways, because it's a recognition of the goodness of the lawgiver. It's a recognition of the goodness of the lawgiver. And and how, how is that? Well, it says that I believe that you actually know more than me, so it's your greatness, but it's also your goodness, that you want the best for me. And if I'm going to have my best life now, then the best way to do that is to walk in your ways, not to follow the devices and desires of my own heart, but to be thankful for everything that I have, and then to pattern myself after the pattern that you have laid out. I trust you. It's why the the Israelites are so proud of something that we as Christians never even know that they're proud of, and that is is that the time they were given the law, their response to the, the giving of the Ten Commandments w- w- was, we will do and we will listen. And what it meant was to say that, that the things that we already know, we'll walk in those, and then we, we want to walk with you because we know those can't possibly be all the things we need to do. So we will walk with you and we will listen to you going forward. It says we trust you. And why do they trust him? Well, it's because he brought them out of Egypt. As he says in Exodus 20, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the slavery. And, and then he goes on to say, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall um, have no idols and images, and, and you shall keep the Sabbath. And so he gives those things concerning himself, but it's all based in what he's done for them. And that's Jesus' basis for, for his call on our lives and, and his call to obedience for our lives. Because he has died for us and made it possible for us to be freed not from slavery uh, in Egypt, but from the bondage of the slavery of sin. And we've been set free to follow him because we we know that eternity is taken care of because of his sacrifice on the cross, whereby he took on my sin, I took on his righteousness, and the resurrection from the dead, which assures me that there is such a thing as the resurrection from the dead. So I, I know that those things are true. So that's the way that we look at this. And so these people say they want to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, 
He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Why? Why would, why would the result of all this be then that there would be peace on the earth? It's because there's a righteous judge who sits on the throne who decides disputes for many peoples and judges between the nations. So, in other words, the, they, they understand the righteousness, therefore the goodness, of the one who decides. And so true justice is being dispensed. True wisdom is being brought. Therefore, there's no longer any need to contemplate things like war. Because we know there's one who can sort all these things out, get to the bottom of things, and get everything in the right place and, and going in the right direction. And we can avoid things like war if we do that. And so that's why they would want to go and walk in his ways, because they want to understand what righteousness is. And the way that we understand what righteousness is, is to walk in the ways of righteousness. Same way that it is with, with any, like, sport or whatever that we do. I mean, anything. There's a discipline of mind that comes along with, with putting yourself and saying, I'm going to study this. And then you begin to study this thing, and then you begin to think differently because your mind runs in a particular track, and, and it's running, hopefully, in the right track. And then there's a, there's a skill that's involved in that, but there's also an understanding gained in walking in something. There's an understanding of all these things. The people you want to listen to about how to lift weights, how to study the Bible, how to do anything are practitioners of that thing, not simply theoreticians of that thing. Because there's some things you can learn in theory, and then there are other things you only learn by practice. And then you begin to understand that thing at a deeper level by committing yourself to the pursuit of that thing. And that's what what this implies, is that, that these people want to commit themselves to this. They understand that they can be taught, but they also understand that in walking in those ways, they learn in a different way a more profound way, and a way that changes their lives. It's not just a matter of gaining knowledge. Far from it. No, it's, it's a way of life. And that's exactly the way Isaiah wraps this up. He says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, so as to be a light to the nations, so as to experience the blessedness of walking in the ways of the Lord. And so what he's saying is, is that, that, look, ultimately what's going to happen is the nations are going to come and they're going to be desperate and they're going to be hungry for the word of God. They're going to be hungry to understand him and know him so that they can then put that into practice. He says, we already know these things. Let's get in on the front of this deal. Let's be those people now, today. You know, there's a, there's a part of him that, that uses this in the same way that Paul says God is bringing in the Gentiles into the plan of salvation in order to make the Jews jealous so that they'll want it as much as the Gentiles do. Because that's a real thing, right? Because we can take that for granted. We can, we can be saved for so long that we, we now take it for granted. And then we see other people coming in, and we see those people getting wisdom, getting knowledge, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty— and we remember when we were hungry and thirsty. And then that's a challenge to us because, well, how can we put up with that? Look at these people. They're just, they're just brand new. 
And they don't know the stuff that we know, but wow, it seems like they're getting some insight that, that I don't even have. And so then maybe that makes us hungry. So that's exactly what Isaiah is trying to say. Hey, guys, we already have all this knowledge. Now let's walk in the ways of the Lord so that we can be ahead of the Gentiles and we can learn new things, too, by, by walking in the ways of the Lord. So that he's challenging them in the same way that I'm challenging you. You already know these things. If you're listening to me, chances are pretty dadgum good that you're already a Christian. And all I'm saying is, is that why don't, why don't we say, okay, what would it look like if I walked 100% of the day as a Christian? Maybe I wouldn't post that thing on Twitter. Maybe I wouldn't post that thing on Facebook. Maybe I wouldn't say that thing, tell that joke, whatever it is. Maybe I wouldn't be looking at these things at all <laughs> if I were really following him. Maybe I would be so occupied with other things that I wouldn't have time to do so many of the things that I do now. That just got a little bit easier for me. Uh, last night, Tennessee lost. Uh, we, we looked so good all year, and then we lost last night to South Carolina. So sort of kind of our hopes and dreams for the season ended. So I have to pay less attention now. I don't care as much as I did. You know, I'm not saying God did that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that's that's the case, is that I can get so wrapped up in Tennessee football that, that I can really lose sight of what's truly important in the world. I, I don't keep things in the proper perspective sometimes. That's what I'm trying to get at. And I let those other things consume me way more than they ought to. You know, it's funny that the, fa- the word fan is just short for fanatic. That's all it is. And, and, you know, the reality is if I hung out with you long enough, I would find out what you're fanatical about. You know, people will tell you don't be fanatical about your religion. Well, it's the only thing in life you really should be fanatical about. And, and yet people tell you not to be such a fanatic about that. It's, it's perfectly all right to be fanatical about a football team, a basketball team, a baseball team, um, whatever it is that you're fanatical about, a restaurant, a, a travel, whatever it is. It's perfectly okay in the eyes of the world to be fanatical about those things, but not, you know, Jesus. No. No, you've got to keep that in its place. No, there, there is no place for Jesus because he's everything. And so we need to be reminded of that. And, and I'm asking now, hey, what would it look like? If you recommitted yourself to that in the same way that Isaiah is calling his people to recommit themselves. In the, in the Matthew passage, we're in Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. Concerning that day and hour, the coming of the Lord, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. How do I know that's the day he's talking about? Because this thing ends with, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you don't expect. So I know that that's what we're talking about here is the day of the Lord. And so he says, not even the angels know, not even me but the Father only. There are certain things that Jesus didn't know in this earthly life, so he could be dependent on the Father in all things, in the same way that it's possible for us to be dependent on the Father for all things. He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, here he says, For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were they were unaware until the flood came. Who are they? That, that is, they are the same people that the ones who were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Not Noah. These people. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. All right, so what is Jesus saying there? Just, let's look at that little passage, because if we don't get that right, then we're not going to get the next part right either. So what happens is, is that Noah enters the ark. These people are swept away, right? They're gone. They're taken away. 
and that, but Noah's not. So they are taken away, and he says, so will be it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, so he's saying that this, what happened in Noah's day, these people were taken away, swept away is the actual verb there, but, but they're taken away, such, and so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So some people will be taken away, swept away, right? Okay, so then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Who's being taken? The wicked. Because he says, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The one that's taken away, the ones who are taken away in the story of Noah are who? The wicked. Jesus said it'll be exactly like that at the coming of the Son of Man. So what does that mean? That means the ones who are taken here are not sort of the people that the Left Behind series posits. No, it's the other people. We're left because we inherit the kingdom. We inherit the earth. So we are left behind in this instance. I'm not commenting or opining on a rapture at this moment. I'm telling you that this is about the coming of the Son of Man. This is the final day. Who has taken the wicked? They're taken away to judgment. So therefore, stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So always be prepared for him and always have your way of life such that if he came back now, you'd be happy to see him, not embarrassed. So that, that's the point, is, is that you don't want to be taken away. You want to be left behind in that day. And so it's important that we walk in his ways in order that we are prepared for that. You know, and, and as I've said many times before, I know people who are completely fixated on determining when he's coming back. And Jesus couldn't be any clearer about that. The angels don't know. I don't know. And you don't know. It's an hour you do not expect. If he's telling the, the disciples that, then my goodness, how do we think that we could know more than they did? It's, it's just, there's not some continuing revelation. that No, that Jesus gave us sets of signs that we need to be watching out for, and we need to see, an in, we, we need to be looking for that. But mostly what we need to do is to be prepared. We need to be prepared at any given time in ourselves. We need to be committed to him. We need to be like the servants that he talks about in other parables where the master goes away and then comes back at an hour they didn't expect and finds them, or does he find them faithful? That's the key. Are you faithful? What does that mean to be faithful? Well, it means that you're doing the things that he told you to do. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It, are we about the things that Jesus told us to do? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So are we doing that? Are we as a church doing that? Are we as a people doing that? Those are the key things. Be about the things that he's told us to do. He's given us jobs, right? He's given us jobs, and that is to walk and display his righteousness, to display his glory, to extol him, and to teach others. So we all have the same marching orders, in this, that it, just because you don't have the gift of evangelism, you don't have this, that, and the other thing, doesn't make any difference. 
You're given the same tasks. There's some things you're better equipped for than I am. There's some things that I'm better equipped for than you are. That's okay. But we all have the same basic marching orders. And one of those things is to obey what he's taught us, to live the way he has told us to live. Go back, read the Beatitudes. Just trust, have faith, walk in that faith. Don't walk under the circumstances. You don't live under the circumstances. You live under the cross. You live under the the rulership and the headship of the living God, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In the Romans passage today, we've got Romans 13, verses um, 11 to 14. By the way, Jesus is challenging in the same way. Isaiah casts a compelling vision for the future. And what he does is that when the Lord establishes the kingdom in Jerusalem, he is he is casting this beautiful vision for the future when when all the nations will stream into this. Well, why, do, why does he give us that verse? Well, it's to compel us with that last verse to walk in God's ways. And it's similar, you know, to, to what Jesus does here, but Jesus gives the negative side of that. The vision that he gives is one of judgment and says, now live accordingly, <laughs> pick and choose, choose life, as uh, Joshua would say and as uh, Moses would say. It, it's, it's a very similar thing to the gospel we had a couple of weeks ago where Jesus talked about you know the signs of the apocalypse, the, the earthquakes and the floods, the uh, wars and the rumors of war and all that kind of stuff, signs in the heaven. And, and that's at the macro scale, but then he immediately moves it down to the micro scale and said, here's what's going to happen to you before all those things happen. He's saying, don't worry about the macro. Those things are always happening. It's, it's difficult, deny impossible to figure out if this war is that war. You know, is it the last war? Is this thing a, a precursor or presaging of the, of the time to come? And Jesus says, don't worry about all that. Worry about it at a, at a micro level, at a personal level. That's where you need to live. That's the only thing you have control over. You know, and, and that's one of the things I think that people should learn in our lives is not to sweat over the stuff that I don't have any control over personally, but to really focus my attention on those things that I can control and that I can change. In, the, in that Romans passage, Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. You don't know the hour of his coming, but you know the hour has come for you to wake from sleep because you've accepted him. And you understand something the rest of the world doesn't understand, and that is that actually the world is under judgment, and it will be judged, ultimately. And there will be a new creation. You know things that nobody else knows. And that's what Paul's saying. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. You were asleep before, but now you're not. Because you know the truth. You understand all things through the lens of Jesus Christ. And therefore, now you know things. He says, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Well, that, that's obviously linearly true, that, that we, we were saved and we know that he's coming again, so every day that passes gets us closer to the end, whenever that end might be. He said, the night's far gone, the day's at hand. I think Paul did believe that Jesus was coming soon. I don't think he he really thought that he was coming in his particular lifetime necessarily. But he says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, because that's true, because you know these things to be true, what do you do? Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So you know the truth, now walk in that truth. Get rid of the stuff that you know to be false, 
Cast off the works of darkness. You know those things are unhealthy. And he's going to give you some list here in a second. You know those things are wrong. You know they're not healthy. And these are the things that always distract us and pull us away because what are we trying to do? We're trying to make some sense of this world. We're trying to have some pleasure in this world. There's pain in this world, and we want to avoid that as much as possible. So we, you know, we indulge ourselves. And he says, so put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So it's pretty clear what you're not supposed to do, right? I mean, Paul couldn't have been any clearer with that. And, and you know, it, it's who we are. You know, if you're not prone to orgies, well, you know, okay. If you're not prone to drunkenness, okay. This doesn't apply to you. No, I didn't say that. <clears throat> not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Well, maybe hitting a little closer to home there. I doubt if I'm talking to anybody here much who is who is prone to orgies. I just doubt that. Um, but sexual immorality and sensuality, you know, Jesus defines that pretty simply. If you have lust in your heart for somebody, then you've committed adultery. So work through that one. But then, you know, so he gets through all that. And it's sort of like the Ten Commandments to me is just like, okay, I've never murdered anybody. I've never borne false witness. I've never stolen. I've never had uh, committed adultery. And then he gets to the last thing, and it's just don't covet. And so here you can say, well, I'm not prone to orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality and sensuality. And then he says, not in quarreling and jealousy. <sighs> I mean, that's the only thing I can do, right? <sighs> really? I was feeling pretty good. And then, well, you went to meddling, right? And so quarreling and jealousy, and we can certainly be prone to that. We've certainly been prone to that in the church for a long, long time. Every church I've ever belonged to. It's become, at some point, an issue in the church, quarreling and jealousy. Why does that guy get that role? Why does he get to do this? Why does she get to do that? Why can't I do that? Why, why am I always overlooked? Why am I always the person that nobody pays any attention to? I think I have skills and abilities, too. Or I, I didn't like that. you know. And, and so we form our own little factions, and we, we have our own little quarrel with the other people. So Because they're the in people, and we're the out people, or whatever it is. But but we're all guilty of these things. And so I'm asking you to do what Paul says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So take a look. Look at how you spend your time. Look at what you're doing and say, okay, if, Jesus, if I really believed with all my heart that Jesus was coming back on December the 25th and I wanted to be prepared to greet him on that day, what would I need to do? What changes would I have to make in my life? in order to be prepared to greet him. We all know what it's like to have a sense of awe and wonder and excitement and anticipation with regards to Christmas because we were all children at some point in time. And so we know what Christmas meant. What I'm encouraging you to do is to look at it as an adult and look at it in a way that says, I know a lot of stuff. I know the time. The hours come for me to wake from sleep. The night's far gone. The day is at hand. So knowing those truths, how do I then look with anticipation towards the coming of Christ again? And I'm not going to be disappointed <laughs> on Christmas because he doesn't come. It's not like I didn't get the Red Rider BB gun. No, it's, I'm not going to be disappointed in that because I know that if I adjust my life in that way, that's actually the best thing for me, and I'll continue to walk in those ways, and I'll continue to be prepared. But I can't do that unless I start. 
And so what I'm encouraging you to do is to join me in, in that thought process that's looking forward to praying for the coming of the kingdom and saying, Amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I'm not right this minute in a great position to do that. There's some adjustments that I need to make in the way that I spend my time and the things that I do. And now's the time to make those changes because, indeed, he might. I'm giving you four weeks' notice. He might not give you four minutes.